People like to twist that around, I know. They say, they say, well, if you don't vote, you have no right to complain. But where's the logic in that? If you vote and you elect dishonest, incompetent people and they get into office and screw everything up, well, you are responsible for what they have done. You caused the problem. You voted them in. You have no right to complain. I, on the other hand, who did not vote, who did not vote, who, in fact, did not even leave the House on Election Day. I'm in no way responsible for what these people have done and have every right to complain as loud as I want about the mess you created that I had nothing to do with. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. And as always, everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we will be celebrating... 50 episodes. 50 episodes. 50 the episodes. half century. <laughs> Holy. It's been wild. Yeah, it actually works out as two years since we started the podcast because we record fortnightly and somewhere mm. along the line we've we've kind of skipped a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, through through different things. So yeah, mate, it's been it's been two years. Two years. Wow. And to think some of the wonderful people listening have actually been listening since episode one. Yeah. If you've been with us since episode one, um, hats off to you. It's been a, uh, a long and rocky road, but thanks for, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for believing yeah. with us. And, and look, yeah. if this is your first episode, welcome to. It's a pleasure having you here as always. So yeah, thanks for joining wherever you are in your car, on the way to work, sitting on the bus, you know, vomiting on yourself after a big night out, you know, welcome to the show. Yep. We, we take anyone and everyone here. So we're going to essentially just look back on 50 episodes. We're going to talk about some of the predictions we made uh, along the way, some things that have changed, what stayed the same, and just reflect on some of the the, the the highlights and the lowlights of 50 episodes of the FOMO show. Yeah, cool. Well, let's jump into our disclaimer. Um, firstly, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice, but we say that you should probably buy Bitcoin. But simultaneously... We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, um, football teams, whatever it would be, um, some of which we talk about on the show. Yeah, but if we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. We are introducing a brand new resource for our listeners. Yeah, so can you really be sure you're safe online? Do you want to know more about tools you can use to maximize your privacy? We're putting together a page. We've put together a page, actually, uh, which you can find at FOMO.show slash privacy. And it's got the best tools to help you check your privacy, stay protected online, and keep your cryptocurrency secure. So, yeah, check it out. FOMO.show forward slash privacy. Blockchain basics. Um, If you're new around here and you have no idea what blockchain and cryptocurrency are, why not check out our blockchain basics series? 
Yeah, it starts from episode two and continues on until episode eight, and it'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. And it'll also give you a bit of a glimpse into uh, some of the things we'll be talking about this episode, which is where the show came from, what, what we were like back in the first two episodes and some of the things we talked about. So, yeah, you'll probably you'll probably see some things we predicted and said that aren't very accurate, but you will get a good <laughs> grounding in, uh, in blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and what that all means. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well... Let's jump into the news. Now, the first piece of news, we would not have even expected to see a piece like this when we started the show. Mm. Coinbase have received a multi-billion dollar crypto transfer from Grayscale. Yes, yeah, so one of the world's largest digital currency asset management firms plans to execute a transfer of billions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. And that transfer would be one of the most significant single transfers ever witnessed in the crypto world. So through the transfer, Grayscale Investments plans to move their underlying assets for their products to Coinbase, which is a crypto wallet provider and trading platform. Um, Side note, if you're interested in getting involved in uh, buying your first crypto, you can get on Coinbase at FOMO.show slash Coinbase um, because that helps you and us if you use that link. But um, yeah, but in particular, the assets will be transferred to Coinbase Custody, which will serve as the custodian of the assets. And we first mentioned Coinbase Custody way back in episode seven in, wow, November of 2017. Yeah, yeah and it's it's become more and more topical as we've seen more and more hacks of uh, people's crypto wallets and some theft of exchange coins, Custody is becoming a big deal and it makes sense because the value of the assets expected to be transferred to Coinbase is close to $3 billion and the transfer is mm. scheduled to be completed in less than 12 hours. So it, right. it makes sense that uh, they'll be looking for a very good way of keeping this stuff safe. Yeah, so they've got a range of holdings including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Ethereum, Ripple and some other altcoins as well. So, um, yeah. Yes, all, all of those holdings are going to Coinbase and they're now uh, going to be overseen by Coinbase. And I, I assume it's probably to uh, to minimize the risk or at least downscale the risk that Grayscale has with their cryptocurrency. And I dare say Coinbase probably has some very, very hefty insurance on their Coinbase custody platform. But yeah, because they've got a bunch of like security controls, like all this sort of stuff for... Um, you know, multiple signatures and all this sort of stuff to get get stuff authorised. They've got things insured. They've got – it seems pretty cool. So, yeah, exciting times. Mm. So, next bit of news, a teen Fortnite champion has won more than Tiger Woods at the Masters. Wow, yeah. So, if you haven't heard of Fortnite before, it's a computer game um, or it's a, it's a game. Uh, a bunch of people play off until there's one person left and yeah, you just basically kill everyone else is the aim of the game. But this 16-year-old Kyle uh, Giersdorf, he took home $3 million at the Fortnite World Cup. Yeah, he's not the only player who had a big payday um, on at, at the World Cup. Each of the 100 competitors that made it to that final stage were guaranteed $50,000 with four of them taking home seven-figure sums for an esports competition. Yeah, the fifth place player, he won $900,000 and he's just 13 years old. Mm. So he's from Argentina as well. Yeah, yeah. yes. So he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's a very wealthy guy now. Um, so the Duos champion uh, 
split the same $3 million grand prize and the team of four who won the relatively more casual creative finals took away $1.345 million, which isn't bad for something that's considered more casual. Yeah. So if it's not clear already, there's a huge amount of money in esports. Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. I mean, this year alone, uh, a team called Team Liquid, who I've followed for years and years and years, um, they've now got all sorts of teams and different things. Their Counter-Strike team, um, each of the members in that team have now earned uh, over a million dollars just this year from playing a uh, playing a competitive video game. Wow. I mean, put it in perspective, um, that teenager who won the Fortnite thing, he earned almost 50% more than Tiger Woods did for winning the Masters. So, I mean, the golfing legend, he scooped up, what, two, just over two million US dollars in his uh, 15th major title. And you've had a 16-year-old kid who's just come out and he's just won $3 million. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's probably just going to increase because uh, it, it seems like esports are just gaining more and more popularity as time goes on. So, uh, yeah, expect that to go bigger and bigger. I mean, the international every year, which is a is a Dota tournament, Um I think they, they had a prize pool of something like $20 million uh, I was last year or the year before or something crazy like that because they allow their uh, users, to their players to crowdfund the prize by buying like an in-game item essentially. So the prize pool for that just seems to get bigger and bigger every single year. So wow. there's just – there's so much money behind this stuff. Mm. Wow. And it's great to watch. I mean, if you've never watched any esports, I'm not a particularly into Fortnite, um, but uh, there's there's a bunch of different esports out there that are just that are really really good to watch. All we can do is recommend that that guy just buy puts all his money into Tether and just see what happens. <laughs> oh, well done. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, next piece of news. <laughs> So next bit of news, UBS is planning negative interest rates for rich clients. Yeah, so they're the latest European bank to pass the cost of central bank's quote-unquote lower for longer stance to depositors. So UBS plans to levy a negative interest rate on wealthy clients who deposit more than uh, $2 million of Swiss francs with its Swiss bank as lenders hunker down for a period of ultra-loose monetary policy. Yeah, so several banks in Switzerland and the Eurozone already pass on the cost of official negative interest rates to corporate depositors, although most large players have refrained from doing that with individual clients. Yeah, but it's 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 this trend of lower for longer. It's essentially that the banks are seeming are seem to be saying that negative interest rates aren't going away anytime soon. It's going to be there for the foreseeable future. And UBS Switzerland is going to, from November, charge 0.75% a year on individual cash balances over 2 million Swiss francs. Yeah, so that's according to three people who are briefed on the plans. But yeah, it underscores how banks in both Europe and the US are are really scrambling to prepare for uh, quite a long spell of lower rates that actually does threaten their profitability because previously they'd been keeping like they'd been not charging that to people who are depositing money with them but mm. now they're actually passing it on so how did we get here Joe like what why are we at a point in time now where where banks are talking about having negative interest rates for the foreseeable future like- so I at the long and short of it since 2008 when there was this great financial crisis which wasn't actually that big a financial crisis since 2008, 
banks, uh, central banks have been printing money like there's no tomorrow. They've been printing masses, billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars globally, and just adding more money into the financial system. Now, there's one issue with that in that if you're printing money, um, and not many people know how much money is being added into the system. If you're printing money and adding it into the system without an uh, a uh, an equal rise in the demand for goods and services, the actual value of your money shrinks. And that causes greater inflation. It creates a number of different subsequent issues. If, you, if you'd like to learn more about that stuff, I really recommend looking into um, the Zeitgeist series on uh, money creation. Um, there's a really good explainer of how central banks create money out of nowhere. So basically what you're saying then, Joe, is that as banks have printed more and more money, allegedly in response to a financial crisis, um, that's had a knock-on effect in the, the rest of the economy. Uh, it's had a knock-on effect in the, you know, I guess, the monetary system as a whole. And banks have then moved to push interest rates lower and lower and lower to keep people spending. Okay, keep, well, keep people the, taking out loans, sorry. That's the main one is negative interest rates pressure people to, yeah, keep putting their money into things that aren't their bank. It, it disincentivizes you from saving. Now, when you look at things like uh, inflation, so the value of your money decreases every year by about 3%. Now, if you keep your money in the bank and then the inflation's at 3%, your money actually can buy you less every year, mm. every for every year going forwards. So inflation by itself just means that you probably shouldn't be keeping too much money just sitting in the bank because it's worth less every year. And negative interest rates are a way of even further. Not only do you have inflation, um, but also so so that you can buy less every year, Inflation, it should actually be called something else because it's a strange name. Mm. But also, negative interest rates means you're actually, they take your money for having money. And also, you actually get with negative interest rates, the theory behind it is that you can actually be paid to take out a loan. Right. So, it, it works basically in the, to the advantage of the lenders, but not the savers. Yeah, 100%. So, they're just trying to basically keep the economy moving it's it's like a game of musical chairs mm. they're just trying to stop the music from pausing right but because when the music pauses things are going to go bad mm. but there doesn't really seem to be a like like a way out of this this time does there like it this lower for longer thing is not what you want to be hearing when at the beginning of the negative interest rate discussions back a few years ago in Europe, it was talk about, you know, a temporary measure. Like this is just temporary, just for us to to get spending back up a bit and then we'll, you know, then things will normalise. And now- Yeah, it's been temporary for over a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and there's now people talking about, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this further, but there's, there's talk of it getting even worse, you know, before it gets better. Yeah, well, I mean- no matter which way you look at it, in, like interest rates are almost like the last line of defense for central banks. It's the, one of the only weapons they have to try and manipulate the, our currency and the economy. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's expected that the US Federal Reserve is going to cut interest rates. Um, they may just hold them, but we've been sitting at all-time lows mm. for ages. Mm. And it means that if you keep your money in the bank, it's not doing anything. It's not going to earn you anything. 
You're just losing by keeping it there. Yeah, I remember when people used to say that putting money in the bank was to sa- for savings to get interest was great. I remember people used to live off the interest on their savings if they saved up enough money because the interest rates were, you know, 10% back in the day and, and, and well, things back like when we were kids, you could earn a 15% interest rate. I know there was an HSBC account that, uh, that was around when I was younger that earned 15%. Wow. 15%. I mean, now we talk about 2.7% being really, really good. Generous. Rate. Yeah. And you'll thank them for the privilege. I mean, and yeah, that's, exactly. just, that's just, that's not even really keeping up with inflation. Mm. Mm. But, you know, on the top of this, you know, Credit Suisse, which is one of UBS's main rivals, they've said the other week that they're thinking about doing the same sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure on this. And it's now right now, they're only targeting people who measure who have millions of dollars in their bank, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be that long until it passes down to everyone else. I mean, it's already happening in Germany and I believe Spain and also Japan where people are huge savers in Japan, but it's not a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're talking about people being able to avoid the levy by moving balances into different accounts and all sorts of other different things. But the reality is, like it's it's it will be quite hard to escape this once it starts because most people's money are locked in that banking system, and I guess to riff off that, um, there's we, there's been a piece recently also on uh, here in Australia, the government is very very strongly pushing for uh, a total ban on cash down the line. Yeah, yeah. So this is actually coming to force um, just the other. Uh, I think it was in July. Um, Australia banned all any cash transactions over $10,000. Now, this is a global movement. Mm. People are banning cash transactions. And you might want to know why are people banning cash transactions? And it ties directly into negative interest rates because a negative oh, interest hey, rate- Hang on, Joe. No, it's, it's, um, it's, isn't, it, isn't it terrorism and, and na- <laughs> national security? I mean- Oh, standard procedure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, please continue. Yeah, no, but- um. But yeah, and for a negative interest rate to happen, they need to take money for every dollar you have. You know, if you have a hundred dollars and they're taking 0.75%, you need to they need to be able to access your money. And that's why cash is being slowly outlawed, because they cannot set a negative interest rate while people can still transact in cash and take money out of ATMs and things like that because they can't take your money off you physically. Mm. But yeah, so I, I watched a really interesting video discussing on what is actually going on behind this. And by banning cash, uh, in summary, like uh, we'll put a link to this video, but essentially by banning cash, it traps people inside their banks it enables fur- like the laws that they had on um, banning cash actually enables further restrictions and negative interest rates without parliamentary approval. Mm. This that law enables, which means you can put more capital controls. It's got the potential to ban cryptocurrencies and gold, um, and most importantly, you look at Spain and and Greece especially. Yep. It actually has a potential for bail-ins, mm. where in Greece, I remember this when it happened a few years back. The, uh, some of the Greek banks literally just took money from people who had 100,000 plus euros in their bank. They took it and used it to bail out the banks. They exchanged it for stock, uh, but the stock wasn't worth the same amount as the cash that they took. So it's literally theft yeah. of their depositors. Yeah. I, I remember when that happened and it was, a, it was a real wake up call for a lot of Greek people to kind of look at their banks in a new light, I think, because they, they you know, you put usually 
you put money in ba- the bank and you think that that's your money, but that proved, and we've seen it in Spain as well, That um, and I think Cyprus did this too, um, mm-hmm. that the money really isn't yours. It can be taken at any time, um, mm-hmm. taken against your will, and once you're locked into that system and you're in that private custodial banking system which feeds into the central banking system, your money's really not your own. Like It's, it's only your own as long as the government or the banks don't decide they need it. And just remember what happened to Greece at the absolute trough of their situation. They impose a restriction that you could only take out 60 euros a day Mm. from a cash machine. Mm. Mm. So it means if you want to try and take out your money, good luck to you. Yeah, well, you're essentially held hostage. Your money is essentially just held hostage. And so- Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a really worrying trend. Um, it's it's off the back of an IMF paper which has been brought out recently, and I read the paper and I was just I was gobsmacked at just how overt they, they basically said that um, they're foreseeing you know maybe negative ten percent, negative fifteen percent interest rates in the future, and they don't want people to be able to get around them. So cash needs to be eliminated. So not only are those interest rates honoured uh, and lending. They, they they essentially say, well, we want people to keep taking out loans. We want people to want to lend. We want that you know the economy to be stimulated, but also we want to be able for governments and central banks to be able to bail in, and uh, that's mm. just that's just there in plain plain for everyone to see is a recommendation to all the world's governments that you need to ban cash so you can essentially steal people's money, and it's and that's that's the big thing here is it's like it's it's not enough anymore that our money is stolen, uh, aka taxed at um, you know, as we earn it or after we earn it, if we're assessed by the tax office, that's not enough anymore, even though tax rates are the, the, the highest they've ever been in basically human history. Um, now you're essentially getting reverse taxed when your money's already been taxed <laughs> mm, at the source. So, so the long and short of it is if your money is in the bank, it's not yours um, it is up to the whims of somebody else. And that is actually a really dangerous thing. But, you know, if you're happy to keep your money in the bank, as many of us are, um, all well and good. However, if you want to be able to control the amount that you spend every now and then, and, you know, things like cryptocurrencies mm. will actually make this so much more useful because they cannot apply negative rates to interest, uh, to, to Bitcoin. Mm they cannot control whether you can or cannot use your Bitcoins. Yeah, exactly. And, and I guess it's it's just making Bitcoin more and more attractive, isn't it? Because no longer is Bitcoin a, a risky, as risky an investment when you can basically say the same thing about the banks, like invest in the banks at your own peril. You know, don't invest more than you can afford to lose in your bank <laughs> because uh, it may be taken from you at any time. Mm. Mm. But yeah, so that's, it sounds like a bit of a downer, but at the same time, when these things come in, it just gives you another reason for why cryptocurrencies mm. are next level awesome, because they're not controlled by these actually dangerous banks, because the reason we've got these negative interest rates is purely because these central banks have been printing money out of thin air for decades, and expecting there to be no consequences. And then when there are consequences, they want to be able to manipulate that yeah. same money. Yeah, well, they, so, want us to, they want us to pay for it, the people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, man. I think this is really good for Bitcoin. Um, and I would not be surprised to see some kind of 
uh, ban down the line as because a lot of people are going to start to realise that they don't want to be a part of the banking system anymore. They'd prefer to move to something like Bitcoin and I can't see governments just sitting down and taking that. Final piece of news, the Swiss Post are suspending their drone delivery service after a second crash. Yes, this one is out of spectrum.ie.org. Um, um, they've said that an emergency parachute failure raises questions about the safety of urban delivery drones as a second drone has crashed. Yeah, so for about a year, Swiss Post and Matinet have been collaborating on a drone delivery service in three different cities in Switzerland. Uh, they've been ferrying lab samples between hospitals, which is way quicker and more efficient than you know what's possible with current ground transportation. So they've made around 3,000 successful flights as of last January. Um, and in perspective, it's only two crashes over time. But yeah, as of... Uh, a January 25th crash into Lake Zurich put things on hold until April. And then there was a second crash in May. Yeah, and then that caused Swiss Post to suspend services indefinitely. And a recently released interim report uh, published by the Safety Board basically provides some detail on what happened. And it was also a reminder that for all the drone delivery hype, there's still some basic problems that aren't really solved yet. Yeah, so I mean, the first crash, the January one into Lake Zurich, was caused by a short circuit that interrupted power to the drone's GPS. The emergency system worked just fine and the drone parachuted into the water. Yeah, but the second crash in early May was somewhat more serious. So an as-yet-undefined in-flight issue, which was possibly wind-related, caused the drone to deploy its emergency parachute two minutes after launch, but the single tether connecting the parachute to the drone caught on a sharp part of the drone and uh, broke almost immediately. Yikes. So, yeah, the the really almost scary part of this was that, yeah, according to the German newspaper Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, I don't know how to pronounce that, sorry, German friends, um, the 10-kilogram drone, 10 kilos, mm. it suffered an uncontrolled crash, quote-unquote, in a wooded area of Zurich's university quarter, only 50 yards away from a group of playing kindergarten children. Wow. And that... Nobody was hurt. Though. Yeah, good. I mean, that does kind of bring it into perspective, isn't it? Because these drones, like, they're basically going to be flying over very heavily populated areas. Like, they make the most sense to use in the cities. And 10... I didn't even realise they were that heavy. 10 kilograms is... If that's dropping out of the mm. sky and that falls on your head, I mean, that's that's basically it, you know? Yeah, I You're mean, getting yeah, back you up add... You you times that by the the, the gravity, mm. and uh, it's pretty painful. It's like a and big it falling rock, isn't it? Oh mate, yeah. You don't want to be, especially when things are spinning as well. Like that's not no. I don't want to mess around with that. But I mean, it reminds me of Elon Musk said this thing on YouTube a few years back. In he was answering on why flying cars wouldn't be a thing according to him, and he was like, "Look, think about it. If cars are flying around all above you, you think." When's the last time they got their hubcap service? <laughs> because if a hubcap flies off a flying car, it's not a nice uh, outcome. No, well, that's uh, that's, that's a frankly. that's a high speed flying metal disc, isn't it? Mm, nah, yeah. not for me. Not for <laughs> me. Anyway, I mean, it's, it, look, it's 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 cool that they did three thousand flights, which all but two went yeah. really well. Um, so it sounds like we're making a lot of progress. Uh, maybe they just need to make all the edges rounded on these things and maybe have an emergency parachute as well. I don't know. 
You're right, but at the same time, two out of three thousand means that's zero point zero six percent of flights. But still, every every bit counts. But yeah, yeah, exciting times. Well, that's it for the news. Cool. So this week in our privacy and security segment, we are going to be talking about Haven. So what is Haven? So Haven is a decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace and social media application with support for multiple cryptocurrencies. So it's powered by uh, the decentralized Open Bazaar network, uh, and it runs on your mobile device. And Open Bazaar is essentially a um, like like an open marketplace that started a number of years ago now, where people could buy and sell things in Bitcoin. And they've essentially fleshed out this great little network of, um, of essentially a marketplace framework. Wow. I just went onto their website, openbazaar.org. Yep. You can buy music, games, videos, um, short-term rentals for things, international goods, rare items, local foods. And there's no platform fees and pretty low prices. Yeah, and uh, someone I know actually is a part of the team on this, and hmm. uh, and they've done a really. I've been following it for a few years now, and they've they've done a really good job. And um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really used enough. It's it's a great little application, and particularly if you've got crypto and you want to spend it on something, you know, in a way that's kind of like Amazon or eBay. Uh, but it's all decentralized, all peer to peer, works really really well. And uh, Haven is essentially their mobile version of Open Bazaar. Oh, so is Haven gets Haven app? Yeah. Is that owned by Open Bazaar? Yeah. So I, 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 well, I'm not sure of the specifics, but it's the same. Uh, I think some of the same people are tied up in Haven as are Open Bazaar. They're kind of spinning this off using the protocol um, to make it really mobile native. So they tout the promise of snoop-free shopping. They say that you can buy and sell from wherever you are without these big platforms peeking in and taking a cut. Yeah, so it really is. They've built a really, really peer-to-peer structure. And so you can list things on Haven or Open Bazaar and then pay for it with cryptocurrency by simply sending it through the app. Um, they essentially facilitate your purchase and hook everything up and make it so that, you know, at the end of the day, it works just like Amazon or eBay. Yeah, they've also got a, a private messaging function. They've got end-to-end encrypted messaging, so you can enjoy what they say is Snoop-free chats. And you can obviously send and receive and spend uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Zcash in their multi-currency wallet in the app. So they're saying that you can bypass the banks, which is... Pretty interesting. It's quite topical considering what we were talking about just before. So what's this social network layer that they seem to be adding on top of it? Yeah, I haven't really played with the social network layer, but my understanding is from the the parts that I've read about it so far is that it's it's still very much in beta, but- It looks like Twitter from the screenshots that you've seen. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just for the people that you're kind of connected with, essentially. So no one else can really look in and see- you don't want them to see unless you give them permission to see it, essentially. Mm. So it sounds like, to me, it's an alternative to Amazon or eBay entirely using cryptocurrency. There's a mobile app for Android or iPhone. Um, you can store your cash in there. You can message the people you're buying and selling off. And, yeah, I really am interested to see 
what goes on to that? Yeah, like if you if if what we were talking about earlier about kind of detaching yourself more and more from the legacy banking system struck a chord, this could be a really really way really really good way to start that. Uh, you can essentially test out life just living with crypto by uh, making purchases and dealing with people on a peer to peer basis entirely apart from the banking system. Mm. Now it's worth noting. I just had a look at their terms and conditions, the legal wording. They said that. Haven users are not anonymous by default. So while communications between parties are encrypted, IP addresses are public and can be associated with activity on the network. And Haven users must adhere to the laws of their own legal jurisdiction as well as their conscience, which I think is very important. So, Mm. yeah, it sounds like what they're saying is, look, you know, even if you break the laws, you've got to actually work to, you know, the laws of, nature and conscience. I like I like the way they've worded those terms. I think it's a, a nice balance. Mm. And it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful interface. And the most important thing is this is allowing people to use just cryptocurrency. And that's the future of online commerce, I feel, mm. is that, you know, yeah, using cryptocurrency, cryptocurrencies are the currencies of the internet. Um, US dollars, Australian dollars, Japanese yen, whatever it is, British pounds, they're not. They're they're the currencies of an old era. Exactly right. This is the future. Let's jump into the feature. Here we go. So it's been two years since we started the FOMO show. It's been a long road. There's more than eighty hours of content that we've uploaded. Really? Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's joined us for the ride, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure having you here as always, and. Yeah, we're so grateful for you wasting your time listening to us to having a chat. We thought it'd be good since we're 50 episodes in, um, just to look back on some of what we've, what the last 50 episodes have had, talk about some of the predictions we made, what's changed in the last couple of years since we started, um, you know, were we right, were we wrong, and just reflect too on some of the, the different things that we've done, some of the clips, some of the features. And maybe play a bit too from a few of these mm. um, these these different episodes. We've done some of our favourite bits, so this will be a bit of a nostalgia trip. It'll be kind of like I guess just tying off the last fifty episodes and looking forward then as well to the next fifty episodes until we hit a hundred. Yeah, so I'm going to kick this off with how we started the show. Now, I was a fresh-faced Englishman who was new to Australia. I just moved to Brisbane and. I'd moved in to, to do some marketing for a law firm and I met this uh, interesting lawyer who uh, we used to chat every evening about blockchain, cryptocurrency, technology, freedom, all these kind of random things. And what do you reckon triggered the podcast? I fell really heavily down the rabbit hole for, for crypto and yeah, I just couldn't stop talking about it and you were already very down the freedom rabbit hole and we kind of just hit it off mm. and talked mm. crypto, talked freedom. And we do that basically after work every day, you know. So from from five o'clock onwards, you know, we'd just sit in my office and just chat. And there came a point where we were like, well, you know, we're spending all this time here at work. Why don't we just start a podcast? You know, why don't we just take, put mics in front of ourselves and talk about it? I mean, we seem to have a good time talking about it, Talk, cover a lot of ground. We, we talk about a lot of interesting things. Let's kind of formalise it just a little bit more and record it and see if anyone listens. And even if they don't, 
well, we're doing the same thing. It really just meant that every two weeks, regardless of what's happened, we've just cracked out an episode and it's been wild. <laughs> we just had to do the show and there's, you know, there's been some funny moments where we've almost not done the show, but for one reason or another, we've, we've cracked on, um, got the episode recorded, got it out and it's been awesome. Like, I guess from even just a, a personal perspective, what I've really learned in doing the show is that you get more out of it than I think anyone else listening po- probably could. The, the amount of uh, the amount we learn, the amount we need to research, the amount of even just soul searching and, and learning your own thoughts mm. is incredible. You know, you, you really start to learn what you think. Uh, you reason through things when you're talking them out. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that's, that's been really cool. So we sat down, I think it was in your house. Yeah. You bought some microphones from a shop and some pop filters and we sat down and we clicked the record button. What happened next? <laughs> uh, we recorded about three hours of audio and used about 30 minutes of it. And, uh, <laughs> and I can still remember doing that edit, um, and listening to it just being like, what are, what are we even doing? Like, why are we doing this? Cause we didn't really write any show notes we basically just thought oh we'll um we'll sit down and we'll do exactly what we do in the office but it's amazing how much things change like the moment you've got a mic in front of you and you hit that record button something just changes you you freeze up you totally (laughs) freeze up yeah yeah and i you know just and and you're obviously sitting in different positions and you're you're conscious of your voice and what you're saying but somehow we got 30 minutes salvaged out of that three-hour recording uh, stitched together a Frankenstein of an episode. Uh, you can still go and listen to it. And so then for the next episode, we thought, well, we'd better write some show notes. Mm. And uh, we didn't just write show notes for that episode. We basically wrote a script for the entire <laughs> episode two. We used to stumble a huge amount. Mm. When you've done it a few times, you're going to get so annoyed at your editing that you're just going to try and get better doing it first time round. Exactly right. Yeah, we, we definitely found that we were training ourselves to talk legibly a lot more and saying ums and ahs and all that kind of stuff mm. uh, a lot less. Because you did the first, what, eight, nine edits of the show before yeah. I volunteered to do one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I was just really keen to to, to crack in and edit. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um uh, I got to admit, like there were there were moments there where, like, because I I'd, I'd get really annoyed with myself, obviously, and mm. so I think I was beginning to meet in my speech, but I just didn't really want to say anything. So. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's only when you start editing your own audio when you notice the types of things that you say. Yeah, you know, you notice those random words that you use as filler phrases Mm, and they get very annoying and you actually, so annoying that you actually erase them from your regular conversation. Definitely. So yeah, we recorded the the second episode, kind of went to the other extreme, had far too much written down. It just didn't sound at all like us and how we normally talk. So by the third episode, we kind of had things leveled out a bit more and we were getting a bit more used to it. I mean, we We'd spun up our own little website and done a few other different things. We were using this. That's right. I completely forgot about this. We were using this like dodgy, cheap podcast host for the oh, first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they, um, luckily, we got our uh, our podcast off their platform just before they basically went bankrupt. 
Holy! <laughs> Did not realize Stop. that they went bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. No, they um, they yeah. like they had all sorts of issues, and and I think we got frustrated with them when they had issues. And I said, oh, we need to do something else. Mm. And then not soon after that, it all kind of came out that they weren't making any money. Wow. Yeah. I want to move on to the next question: Is what's changed in the market, and what have you noticed since we've started? What sort of things have happened in the last two years? The biggest one is probably that. Uh, <laughs> a huge amount of altcoins, which we probably thought were pretty hot stuff mm. in uh, in the end of 2017 and early 18, a lot of them are just faded into oblivion. They've you go on coin market cap now, and most of them are uh, are just gone. They're mm. just they're just not there mm. anymore. So I thought it'd probably be good if we had a a moment of silence for our uh, our lost altcoin brethren. Yep. May they rest in peace. <laughs> oh, I remembered I did my FOMO tax return where I told all our listeners where I was aiming to put my tax return um, in crypto-wise. Mm. Now, I came up with this massive list, and then James, uh, a listener, he put those into a, a big tracker. In, yeah, So you can actually see the live update of where that went at fomo.show slash tax return. And if you want any list, uh, any reason to never listen to anything I recommend, um, this link would be it. Now, there was a bunch of coins at the time. Now, I only actually own a couple of them now, and I won't mention which one of them is EOS. Um, but yeah, a lot of them just completely faded out. 90% of them, 70 plus percent loss. Mm. So good thing I didn't jump in on a few of those, but uh, mm. crazy. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that, that was pretty funny. So that's that's one of the things that's changed. Is it what what else has changed since we uh, well, look in at, the market? Look at the ICO trend. You remember where like things were kicking off. Everyone wanted to do an ICO back in the day. We even had our own guest jump on Dan Dan the ICO man, mm. and yeah, that ICO trend has died off completely. But um. Huh, what about that for timing? He must have his ears burning. What a call coming in from him now. Hello. Hey, Joel. How you doing? No way. It's Dan, Dan, the ICO man. How you doing? Joel, I am amazing. I heard that you guys are 50 years old. Um, Close enough. Yeah, sure. Well, Joel, I just wanted to call and say happy birthday for your 50th birthday. It's amazing. You've both been born on the same day. And look, to honor... Having you guys on the earth for 50 years, I wanted to offer your listeners a once in a lifetime, once in a half century, Joe, offer from Dan Dan the ICO Man. No way. What is it? Well, Joe, it is a new product that is in development at the moment. What we're doing is we're taking on the Libra cryptocurrency. Now, Joe, the big problem is with Libra at the moment, they want to keep it. Mark Zuckerberg wants to keep it close to his chest. You know, he wants just Instagram and Stripe and a number of these other big banking and big technology companies to be involved, Joe. But that's not that's not for the little people, Joe. Yeah. That's not fair. So, Joe, what I was thinking was, what if Dan Dan the ICO man changes his stripes just a little bit, you know, just just, mm-hmm. just tweaks the formula a little tiny bit and says, instead of running an ICO, mm-hmm. we take on Libra. Now, Whoa. everything's going to be different, Joe. So, we're going to make this open source. We're mm-hmm. going to make this... We're going to make this open, and the issuance is going to be open. We're going to give it to everyone. 
Just a little bit down the track, Joe. Just to start off with, we're going to have an advisory board. We're going to have a number of companies initially taking seats to kind of custodian it, you know, inject some money, yeah. share the share the love around. And what's the money based on? Is it going to like what's it going to be backed by? Well, Joe, it's going to be backed just like ICOs are backed by by math, by the blockchain. Mm. So, Joe, we're, we're, we're going to get these companies in. We're going to get them to pump a bunch of money into this thing. And I'm already drumming up support, Joe. They're going to set the policy initially. But what we'll do is in the, in the paper, we'll say, we'll give it to the people down the line. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get everyone involved. So I, I want to give your listeners the opportunity to be a part of the advisory advisory board. So that advisory advisory board will advise the advisors who will then advise the companies who will be setting the policy on the platform straight away, and then down the line we'll give it to the users. So who's running it? Well, Joe, uh, to start off with, I mean, it'll just be it'll be Dan Dan the ICO man. I'll be the, the initial custodian, and then uh, we'll get some companies in, and then uh, you know I'm thinking maybe uh, Credit Suisse, uh, Deutsche Bank, uh, you know Bank of America, get some get some good reputation behind this. Um, the 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 NSA reached out to me, said that they wanted to be involved as well, and uh, look, all of it will probably be custodianed over by the World Bank and the IMF, I'm thinking, Joe. Wow, cool. Well, that sounds like it's the future. Anyway, um, Joe, happy 50 years, happy anniversary, have Merry Christmas, Joe, and um, give your users the link. I look forward to seeing them on the advisory advisory board. Take care, Dan. Well, as always, he's a salesman, over-promising, under-delivering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounded like he was just basically uh, describing Libra there, so... Anyway, I mean, it's nice of him to call us up for our 50th birthdays. <laughs> yeah. So um, more generally, what's changed with uh, blockchain and crypto? So when we started the show, it was basically all about blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. And we made a number of predictions, talked about all the different ways we thought it was going to change the world. It hasn't turned out in many of the ways, at least I thought mm. it was probably going to. And I can even remember writing a piece I think it was late 2017 or early 2018 about smart contracts, you know, and the mm -hmm. the way that things might go and what smart contracts were going to do. And there was all sorts of other people writing that stuff too at the time. You know, you were just thinking that this, this technology is amazing. It's going to change the world very, very soon. Everyone's going to adopt it. People won't be mm -hmm. able to stop. That just hasn't really happened. So what did you notice with the adoption side of things? I think I thought that the, the power for adoption was going to come from the the public side of things. I thought that every, people were going to see that cryptocurrency was a great way to exchange and therefore it made sense to start doing commerce and and then you could kind of code those relationships using smart contracts. So and, all uh, sort of publicly viewable. Exactly. You'd have very certain execution of conditional code and money could flow and transfer. So what's actually happened? So what's actually happened is that uh, Ethereum, which was one of the big smart contracting languages, hasn't really taken off. Like there's some areas where it's used, but not many. Even something like EOS, like it's used for like gambling apps, a few other different applications, but not many business cases. Most of the blockchain, quote unquote, adoption has really happened in the enterprise world. And they're using it more as a almost like a timestamp database where mm. uh, where people can, you know, the, 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 the base layer is open so everyone can see what's going on. And when information is pushed to that database, it's locked in. So it's, it's, they're just really using it for the traceability and immutability, mm. which 
isn't really the 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 big deal in in my mind anyway with things like Bitcoin and, and mm. cryptocurrency because they're not really using the monetary side of things. Because, mm. yeah, in many ways they've moved to that sort of permissioned access. But in other ways you can actually entirely see why that's happened because you don't necessarily want everyone to know what's going on. You just want to know, want the parties involved to know what's going on. And you can see why they're, they're doing that. I mean, we've covered Walmart's blockchain project for a number of episodes now and they just want their supply chain to be involved. They don't want everyone else involved. Mm. They just want their supply chain to be involved. Now, that is great on that micro level. Obviously, it, it's, it makes it only so useful because if you, if you have it on the macro level where you can start doing business with a lot of third parties that aren't involved in your supply chain, then all of a sudden you can build some incredible um, applications and, and things mm. to use. But then you have to trust the public layer. And that's yeah. where we've seen, I think that the, the, another trend with all this has been people's loss of faith in alternate currencies and tokenization. Because, I mean, you, you saw it back with the ICO craze. Like it was like tokenize everything. Tokenization is going to be the future. We're going to have all these different currencies. They're going to do all these different things. And that hasn't really eventuated at all. Mm. So what do you see that's – did you want to talk to that or – yeah, well, I think as much as smart contract usage is, you know, in public at least, is a long way off, I think the fact that the technology has been built means mm. that, you know, I really think that this could be something that could be huge in the future because, you know, it may not end up as we thought it may be, but having a contract with somebody else that's digitally signed, you know, with your encryption keys or whatever it would be, I think smart contracts make so much sense because mm. you're a lawyer. You you know this very well. When two people write an agreement, let's say you and I write an agreement to have, you know, to license something or to, for me to rent a house off you or whatever it would be, we have a contract written out in paper. But if any breaches happen, you have to spot that and then take me to court. Whereas in a smart contract, that's more digital, which is really cool. Yeah, you can essentially have the code enforcing the terms of the contract and it becomes an active contract. So instead of someone just being able to do the wrong thing and then you needing to go through all the motions to chase them up, if they try and do the wrong thing, the code just says, no, you can't do mm. that. That's against mm. my rules. And you potentially headed off you know, millions of dollars lost or... Um, someone doing something that's going to take years and years to get claw the money back or enforce it or whatever. So the the ability to deal with money directly on the platform, which is what a smart contract does, mm -hmm. is programmable money. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really powerful concept. Now, whether we see it in uh, layer one, like we've seen with, um, with you know, what Ethereum and EOS and those kinds of guys do, mm -hmm. or whether we see it as more like a layer two or layer three solution mm -hmm. on something like Bitcoin with Lightning or whatever, um, who knows? But the concept itself, I completely agree, mate. I think it's mm. it's it's still an absolute ripper and it's still exciting for all the reasons we got excited about it. Yeah. I think we just got so far ahead of ourselves, you know? Like it's mm. probably how the guys felt about the internet when it was first starting to, mm. to build. Let's move on to decentralized applications or dApps. What do you, do you seem to recall us expecting versus where things have gone <laughs> with dApps? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think we we because we used to look at Decentraland and District Zero X and um, zero the Zero X protocol and all sorts of other different 
decentralized applications, which are essentially blockchain applications. And we thought that would they would become uh, the norm. We thought most users would want to adopt them. They'd trust it more. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of tokenizing things would, would be very, very attractive. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know whether it's been lack of funding, lack of marketing, or just plain it's a solution looking for a problem, but they haven't really taken off the way we thought they would. And the, the ones that have taken off are generally in two areas. They're generally in gaming and gambling. And exchanges. Yes, yes. Because, yeah. yeah, you look at there's a there's a website, um, Dapp Radar, which lists the most popular um, decentralized applications by volume in money in the last 24 hours. It's all gambling with two exchanges there, and those are like decentralized exchanges. Mm. They're serving certain purposes, and I think they're serving them quite well. But for that to translate to other purposes, I think we're a long way off yet. And mm. um, we've just got to kind of scale out our timeline. A lot of the time, people are quite happy with the status quo until they're not, you know, until something changes. Mm. And I'm more and more of the view that we're not going to see a big shift towards decentralized money and applications and that kind of stuff until people lose faith in legacy banking, mm. which um, it's looking <laughs> more and more like we may get our wish as. Uh, these banks and these governments move to increase capital controls and uh, and introduce negative interest rates and eliminate cash and all that kind of stuff. It seems clear that we're not living in the, the decentralized future, but I think moving towards, you know, where no single unit is in control of a lot of these platforms where, you know, it prevents certain things like censorship decentralized stuff is just going to, it's going to be like a slow burning in the background until you know, as more and more people get cut off these platforms and more and more uh, news gets cut off and more and more things happen here and there, you're going to see people from China or wherever else moving to these platforms. And the thing is too, it's giving time for the tech to mature as well. So what have we changed about the FOMO show over the last two years? How have we morphed and adapted? Well, the biggest one is that we've branched out like when we started the show we were just talking about blockchain cryptocurrency bitcoin that kind of stuff Mm. um but as things have evolved and i mean we've got a number of different interests and we're talking about emergent tech anyway Mm. so we we basically just push that out to talk about a lot more emergent tech and a number of things that are connected to it. So we've even yeah. pulled in some geopolitics and yeah. other things. That's the thing is because both of us really love um, like future tech. We love talking about the cool stuff that's on the horizon, new, new stuff for computers, new VR stuff. That, you know, that sort of sci-fi that's turned into tech, mm. uh, you know, space travel. That's one thing I've loved is just this like watching Elon Musk and Tesla and SpaceX and uh, as a aside, I'm a Tesla shareholder, so don't be biased, but buy Tesla shares. Mate, <laughs> we've just really followed what we're loving. Yeah, and look, we as part of that, we've kind of shied away. Like a lot of shows do a lot of interviews and – we talked about doing that back when we were fresh podcasters and we, we tried doing a few interviews and we do like it, but I guess that just isn't really us. Like I think we in, enjoy more just getting together and talking about what, what we like mm. and mm. You know, picking something each week that we can we can flesh out on and, mm. and discuss in a bit more depth. And it's a lot of planning to do interviews as well, but we, mm. do, we do have a few big ones 
planned every here and there. So next episode, so excited to chat to Alex Fetsky in person. Mm. I've been following him on LinkedIn and in the news, but I've never actually met him in real, like spoken to in real life. So I'm not getting a celebrity crush here, but I'm pretty excited for next episode. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be going to be really good. And that should be a bit of a bumper episode too. I think we're going to mm. cover a lot of ground with that. We've also done very little tweeting as of late. We used to be massive on, you know, getting doing our Twitter stuff and all that sort of thing and social media. But I think as time's gone on, we've both really lost love of all of our social networks. I mean, mm. I haven't been on Facebook in years. Um, you were keeping our Facebook stuff posted. We got a Twitter account, but I, I, I rarely tweet. I've never been a big tweeter either. And, and I, same thing, I've lost love with Facebook. I, I use LinkedIn quite a bit, mm. um, but that's, you know, that comes with the territory of what I do. I mean, even the, some of the some of the decentralized options we've covered, we just haven't really, uh, you know, I guess clicked with and, and they're, they're a bit more, they're a bit harder to, to, to get into anyway. You've got to have a community and build a community and mm. have an established community. I mean, we, we're active on Telegram. Um, that's probably what we use the most. It's been um, a little quiet recently because I guess you've you've been a dad. Like since you became <laughs> a dad, I think both of us have been quite busy and, yeah, it's quietened down a bit. We're going to jump back into our Telegram and keep that alive and running because, mm. yeah, it's good to see links that you guys are sharing and we love that platform. So, yeah, if you're interested, join us on FOMO.show slash Telegram, supposedly encrypted um, chat app. What's changed in our lives? I mean, what are you up to these days? I mean, a lot of listeners might not know what you do. Yeah, so, I mean, apart from being a dad, which has been a, a, a bit of a big change recently um, and not getting a lot of sleep, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm i a technology lawyer now. So I um, made a choice a, a while ago now to, to, to kind of combine my, my day job with my interests. So we'd been doing this podcast and I'd – you know, have all sorts of different little projects that go on on the side that I undertake in the tech space. And uh, and I found that there was a decent need in the legal world as well for a lawyer that understands this stuff. A lot of software mm, companies yeah. and tech companies or even just a lot of more traditional companies, traditional businesses, which are doing things which involve tech, which involve kind of complex commercial relationships where they're pulling in data from different places and all sorts of different things mm. like that. Um, so that's basically become my day job. I'm a, I call myself a technology and business lawyer. So mm. I do a lot of work for startups, uh, small and medium enterprises. So I guess what that means in a number of ways. So you, I guess you look after a lot of contracts and a lot of um, the the legal writing. Yeah. So I, I do that. I, I look after some structuring as well. Um, so setting from that's more from the setup perspective or people who are looking to portion their risk a little bit better, mm-hmm. uh, deal with some elements of intellectual property. I don't really deal with trademarks or patents because that's a very strange and murky area that mm-hmm. um, patent <laughs> attorneys deal with. Uh, but, yeah, like it's a lot, lot of commercial relationships and just a lot of, I guess, risk management too, like actually yeah. working out what you need now, what you're going to need down the track, um, what questions you should be asking when you're negotiating with other businesses, um, what internal policies you should have. It's 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 – it's a kind of a holistic approach because where we're at now is that so many companies are at risk 
if you're holding data, you're at risk of not only getting sued by your the people who you're holding the data on behalf of mm. if something goes wrong, but you're also at risk of getting sued by other companies for which mm. the data passes mm. through and also the government. Um, if you if you have a data breach, there's some pretty specific expectations now and the reporting obligations. And so there's mm. just a lot of risk. And I mean, my, my initial background when I started in legal world was litigation. So I was on the other side of a lot of things. I was dealing with it when everything went wrong. So mm. um, that actually gave you a really good insight into actually spotting risk because you mm. worked on the other end of attacking or defending from that risk perspective. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's kind of my, I, I generally say what could go wrong and work backwards, you know, like what, what would I not want to see come across my desk? So you've got to be at a bit of a pessimist in some ways when you look at these things and just say, okay, let's assume everything screws up. How do we protect you? Definitely. Definitely. Mm. It's, it's all about, and I mean, you've got to be pragmatic about it too. Like there, there, there'll be times when you can take it too far and say, oh, uh, that's too, that's, we're getting a little bit too detail focused now like uh, there's some risks that are just 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 need to be accepted you Mm -hmm. you don't need to write out two pages worth of contracts for a risk that's probably never going to happen Mm -hmm. um you might be able to handle that with a sentence Mm -hmm. so (laughs) there's a there's a real balancing act there Mm -hmm. too um particularly when people are paying you good money you know when people are paying Mm -hmm. you good money for uh, for, for your advice and for your insight, mm. you, you've got to be realistic too. You, you, pe- pe- you've got to run a business. And let's not forget lawyers bill in six minute increments, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try and fix fee a lot more of what I do, but, um, right. but yeah, anyway, so that's, that's, I mean, that's me. That's, that's yeah. what I do. And well, that- just before we move on from that, I, I think that's really important because chatting to a few different people, you can find that a lot of the time people are really eager to make a sale. So mm. they'll sign any contract that comes into them because they can see some dollar figures coming in. Mm. But really, like I've really noticed having both worked in the same law firm as you, but also having witnessed some different contacts that I know who work in business, you know, people are really so eager to sign forms, but they'll miss out on a lot of the things where they have responsibilities for things. There's, you know, your intellectual property gets transferred as soon as you start working or la, 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 la. Now you as a lawyer, you spot that and you think, okay, no transfer of intellectual property until the job's complete and you've paid me. Yeah. It's really good that they got people like you in their corner. Yeah. Look, that's, (laughs) it's funny that you bring up IP because that's probably the biggest one um, that that people drop the ball on uh, is, you know, when, when does it transfer? How does it transfer? Is there licensing going back and forth? Um, mm. that's a massive deal. And yeah, a lot of it can be, it, it's it, like, it, it honestly is worth the money. Like it, it really is. If, if you, if you're negotiating agreements with big money, even if it's with small money, um, I've sat across the desk from people who are doing due diligence on p- potentially purchasing a company. And one of the first things I ask is, are we sure that the company actually owns everything that it says it's own, it says it owns? And it could be as simple as a developer contract you had five years ago with a with a contractor who built one bit of code. But if it wasn't very clear where who owned that intellectual property in that code, um, then you're buying nothing. Exactly. That's that potentially the company does not own the product or that part of the products that it says it does, which mm. can mean that the whole thing will fall over. You know, and a company that may have been acquired for millions, 
either may not be acquired for all or maybe require, acquired for a fraction of that. So wow. it's uh, there's 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 a lot to consider. Um, there's a lot to talk about when you're going into business with other people or commercial arrangements and. Yeah, uh, it can be very fraught. That's insane. I've I've heard some cool stuff about what you're doing, and man, it sounds like you've got a great gig. Yeah, things are pretty good, and I I never thought I'd be dealing in the type of law I am, and it's it's honestly great fun. I I, I really really do enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's me, mate. So how about you? What, what's what's changed in your life since uh, since we started the podcast? I left the firm that we were both working at, and um, I went to to run marketing for a cybersecurity and IT consulting firm, and I freaking love it, man. It is the best job I have ever had, hands down. It's been. Almost a year now. It's been like 11 months and 20 days, I think, somewhere around that. So I look after all our events, our website, our advertising, our presentations when we're doing big pitches, look after sales documentation. I look after random other things as well that just happen here and there because I just like the document templates that we use as a company. I design those because... I like fonts and line <laughs> spacing and trying to make us look awesome. But, dude, I have the best job. Oh, and, mate, let, let me say, like, I think you've killed it with, with the look and feel of everything. Like, when you when you get onto your website and, I, like, I've seen some of the stuff you've done too. It just looks – it looks really good. Um, oh, mate, thank you. Working at a cybersecurity firm and um, IT networking cloud firm – is insane because I get to see what a lot of the people are working on. So I've learned so much about how networks work, how, you know, big, you know, switches, routers, all that sort of stuff, wireless. Um, And my favorite part is cybersecurity because we have a team of people who just hack things. And if you're a bank or an insurance company, you pay us to hack your system to prove that it's secure. And we've got some incredibly smart people and I hope they're not listening because they'll take that way to heart and <laughs> get really bigged up. But holy, we, I've, I'm working in a company with, it's only about 60 people in the company, but there is the brain power is insane. So I'm learning at the speed of light. It's awesome. So I'm learning about all the tech that I love, learning about how things are hacked, how to how secure systems, how to build scalable infrastructure. Man, I'm living the dream. Absolutely loving every day of it. So what's I mean what's what's some of the the lessons that you've learned then from working in a cybersecurity firm for the last year? Well, if you're building a product like a software product or even a hardware product, you assume that because there are some smart people in your business, it's secure. Mm. And I can tell you for a fact that it's not. If you're not sure that you're an expert on securing software, you need to pay somebody who's an expert in securing that mm. because it's so easy to think that you know things, but if you're not sure at all, you've absolutely got to get it checked because this, like millions of dollars are at stake with a lot of these companies. Yeah. And it's it's too late once things go wrong, mm. too, mm. isn't it? And some other things I've learned is just, you know, even basic things like I've, I've had a great boss. My boss will actually take the time to – I got an email on Saturday saying, thanks for helping with those PowerPoint presentations last week because we were doing a pitch for some company. He said, thanks for taking the time. It went like a breeze. They were so impressed, la, la, la. But this guy gets hundreds and hundreds of emails a day and he takes the time to message me to say, thank you. Wow. Um, And one final point, I went up and I said, look, I need a new computer. This is six months ago. 
Uh, and my boss goes, okay, come with me. We walk up to the guy who looks after computers in the office. He goes, journeys a new computer. The computer's in my, on my desk two days later, set up. And it was a beast too, wasn't it? Mm, it's, it's, a, it's a good machine. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm loving my job, having a great time, um, trying to do great work. And, um, yeah, lots of exciting things. We're moving into a new office soon, uh, entire floor in the centre of Brisbane, and it's going to be awesome. So cool. Now, Joe, you've been talking about us doing more video. Yeah, do you know, I'm terrified of video because I don't really want to go on camera. Like, I felt the same about audio. I was very hesitant to do a podcast (laughs) because I didn't feel like my voice should really be out there and shared with people. Which is ridiculous because you've probably got one of the best radio voices going around, particularly in Australia. Stop it. (laughs) But do you know what? I'm so hesitant to go into video, except I realized, do you know what? These things that we're terrified of, you do it 20 times and then you get really comfortable at it. So Mm. I figure let's just do it uncomfortably 20 times and we'll get maybe okay at it. Mm. So yeah, um, hopefully we're going to do some more, uh, some video podcasts uh, a few months from now i'm going to see if we can get our uh, the new office that my business is moving into see if we can get both of us in there and just do filming from there i think it'd be great we've talked about it for a long time a lot of other podcasts are doing video but we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll see how we go i'd be pretty keen to do it though what are some of our favourite introduction clips to the episodes if you've listened to us for any time at all you know that every episode we have Introduction clips, and this was something that really started very early on um, in our in our podcast journey. And we initially did it as more of like a a funny thing to have different people recommending listening to the FOMO show, and uh, then it kind of morphed into uh, what it is now. And we used to be quite hesitant about what we put in those intro clips. Mm. Not being too political, you know. We did. We just. We, we sort of wanted to be quite politically correct and sort of just state a funny things some of the time. But sometimes the news has just meant that we get so riled up that we really want to share a piece of what we're thinking with our listeners. So we've, uh, we've rounded up a few of our most meaningful introductions. First one was right after Julian Assange's arrest in London, where he was pulled out of the Ecuadorian embassy by British police. And the episode after that, Here's what we put. It was a, a clip from John Pilger. We've handed a whole world of, of the abandonment of basic democracy, which is based on dissent, on challenging, on holding power to account, on revelation, on the embarrassment of power. And WikiLeaks provided that service, that public service, of journalism, and it did it without fear or favour. What we're in the, the midst of at the moment is the world's great superpower struggling to maintain its dominance, its information dominance, its technological dominance, its cultural dominance. And WikiLeaks has presented an extraordinary hurdle to this. Julian Assange then has become enemy number one, but he should be and I don't say this lightly, he should be hero number one. Yeah, that's one of my favourite clips of all time. It was really, really good. Mm. Mm. Um, and then, <laughs> not too long after that, we, uh, we, there, there was uh, some search warrants 
issued on the uh, on journalists here in Australia by the federal police, and essentially these warrants were executed without really much due process at all, and it was executed on people who were trying to expose potential war crimes. Um, and that was using the that um, assistance and access bill in part, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it was involved, and there was there was a uh, there was another bill in there, like the counterterrorism bill as well. I think was these are some very extreme that. bills that mm. apply to Australia. So here's a piece that we put in more recently that uh, it's both humorous and brilliant. Either way, you'll need a search warrant first. So come on, let's make one together. Now, first of all, we're going to need a piece of paper. I tore this out of the Constitution. It's meant to have a Bill of Rights on it, but it's blank. Okay, now just ask a grown-up for a pair of scissors. Be careful. And with me, we're going to cut corners on journalistic safeguards. Okay. And then grab your texter, and we're going to draw our parameters. So keep it nice and broad. Really close to the edge there. Emails, metadata, underpants drawers, whatever you need to show that Australia is nice and safe. And if you make a mistake, don't worry, because you can always add, copy, alter or delete anything you want. Now, just grab some glue, because we need to make our case stick. There we are. Down. And of course, then we have to write national security to stop people asking pesky questions. And the best thing of all, you don't even need a judge to sign off on it. Can you spell Queen Bee and Registrar? Me neither. Okay, we've got our warrant now. It's time to be a federal police officer. Let's be, be, be the AFP. You might have even seen us on TV. Just following orders, don't blame me. How good is democracy? <laughs> that, was, that was probably the furthest we'd ever gone up to that point. <laughs> How good is democracy? <laughs> oh, it was, it was really, really cool. Sometimes our episodes were just a little more just chilled, but still... Um, this, there was a clip from John Lennon from the Beatles, and he he had something really insightful to say. So we had to put that at the uh, episode thirty three intro. I think our all our society is run by insane people for insane objects, mm. objectives. If, if anybody can put on paper what they are actually trying to do, you know, and how what they think they're doing, mm. I'd be very pleased to know what they think they're doing. And I think they're all insane. Yeah, it was really zany to hear someone saying that uh, so far back, you know, because mm. some of us talk about that now. But, um, yeah, he was kind of prescient, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure that was age-restricted on YouTube, that specific YouTube clip. Really? Um, yeah. He was – yeah, and that guy got killed not too long afterwards. But um, he was very switched on in some mm. ways. So, yeah. Mm. Um, in episode 29, we uh, we played a second. So we, we actually played two clips from a Federal Reserve documentary. You kind of had to hear them to believe that they were actually a part of a serious documentary because they, <laughs> they kind of sound like satire when you play them. Um, so mm. we'll, we'll play those both now. Since its establishment in 1913, the Fed has increased public confidence in our monetary system. 
and earned a reputation as a strong and credible inflation fighter. In the area of electronic banking, the Federal Reserve plays a leading role in bringing the benefits of a faster, more efficient, and secure payments mechanism to the economy. So the values of the money we use every day are the values fixed by the government. The paper bills and even the coins are not in themselves actually worth the amounts they represent. As long as people remain confident that our government is strong and secure, they will continue freely to accept and spend its money without questioning the value. Yeah, just (laughs) it's um, it's amazing that they weren't a part of some kind of parody or satire. (laughs) I guess it's very easy for us to comment now, but they would never have seen that coming back then. But (laughs) just goes to show that you know things are just uh, crazy. Yeah, well, mate, what were, what were some of the funniest introductions we've had? One of the ones that obviously stands out was our first ever introduction, which was in episode two, where we had uh, Barack Obama, pres- former President Barack Obama, <laughs> proving the FOMO show. So we'll play that one. I'm Barack Obama, candidate for president, and I approve the FOMO podcast. Ah, <laughs> uh, the the wonderful, wonderful FOMO show. Yeah, I miss those ones where we actually had people approving our show. Mm, we should totally do that again. We should. I think we mm. definitely should. We did a couple episodes. Like now, I, I'm a huge. I think both of us are huge fan of some of these old British comedy shows. Uh, I'm a big fan of Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. They did the mm. show called A Bit of Fry and Laurie. And two of the intros in episode 32 and episode 18 were uh, from A Bit of Fry and Laurie. So we'll put them both now. Glorious July afternoon. What a splendid sight it is. It's an absolute picture, isn't it? The sun beating down now. Beautiful day. Crowds. Not a seat to be had anywhere. Packed house. Yeah, absolutely packed. And the grass looking so lovely. Green as anything. Green as you like. Absolutely as green as could be. Yeah. Grass has never looked greener. Yeah, what a scene. What a scene. Marvellous scene. Oh, I say, look, there's a bus. Uh, my father was a conservative. Uh, my mother voted Labour, so I suppose by rights I should be a Liberal Democrat. Uh, but in actual fact, I'm a Nazi. Glorious July afternoon, what a marvellous. Oh, oh, look, yes. there's a bus. <laughs> uh, so British. I thought, I remember one of my greatest memories of Stephen Fry was seeing him live, actually, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. He just did this monologue for like 40 minutes on the Ashes, which are actually going on at the moment too. And Australia just won the first test against England over in England. But he, he just, like his his knowledge and his his humour um, around the Ashes and cricket in general is just, he's, he's very, very intelligent. Wow. Yeah, we had a couple of good ones from Faulty Towers too, which is, uh, which is another great show, a oh. British show as well. Let's play him now. <laughs> Deaf, mad, and blind. Uh, this is the view as far as I can remember, madam. Yes, yes, this is it. When I pay for a view, I expect something more interesting than that. That is Torquay, madam. No, it's not good enough. <laughs> well, may I ask what you were expecting to see out of a Torquay hotel bedroom window? <laughs> Sydney Opera House, perhaps? The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeests sweeping majestically? <laughs> I expect to be able to see the sea. You can see the sea. It's over there between the land and the sky. (laughs) I need a telescope to see that. Well, may I suggest that you consider moving to a hotel closer to the sea? Or preferably in it. Manuel, 
There is too much butter on those trays. No, 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 senor. What? Not, not on those trays. No, sir. Uno, dos, tres. <laughs> Oh, isn't John Cleese brilliant? Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Just his sense of anger, how it comes through. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, the very first intro we ever had, which I think is it was probably a good place to end this, was uh, actually our very own Joe Swin introing the first ever FOMO show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at uh, 23,000 feet. Discussing cryptocurrencies. Take it away. Oh, mate, that was so butchered in the end. That was brilliant, mate. I, I still got so many good memories from that. That just came from, I think it was part of our mucking around somewhere in yeah, the point. Yeah, like two yeah. Hours in. All the best things seem to have come that way. Eh? <laughs> mate, there's also been a number of classic moments uh, over the, 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 the last two years of the podcast podcast when jordan cronier who's our south african uh, roving reporter he predicted venezuela's petro cryptocurrency and it was wild yeah we so he uh he basically called us from um from somewhere in venezuela and said that you know he was working on a cryptocurrency and then he called us from prison uh he'd been imprisoned and they were essentially claiming um, that they had invented it mm. and that was backed up in the news um, because Petro came out right around the time Jordan went to prison. After Two weeks after, he said he'd been working on a cryptocurrency uh, with the, the government. Oh, man, I'm furious, huh? I saw the Reuters notification pop up on my phone last week and I've gotten my Venezuelan legal team on the case. As, as, I mean, as you know, and as the FOMO listeners know, I created this currency. Huh? I taught it everything it knows. I raised it as my own child, history in the making, and Jordan Cronier doesn't get any credit. Not one iota. Huh? So that was, uh, that was very wild. Prescient. Yes. Prescient. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, I, I also remember we, um, and we didn't really let our listeners in on the time, but we actually got filmed for a documentary at one stage. Yeah, and there was uh, there was some lights and cameras in our recording studio at the time, and um, that for some reason the electromagnetic interference from the lights or whatever it was completely blew our recording. Yeah, we just we couldn't rescue it at all it was it was that botch we had to record again so it's an entire episode lost yeah yeah it's like the lost the lost files it's <laughs> somewhere out there someone has a a good copy of uh, of that episode that wasn't mm. butched so one of my favorite memories is you did an incredible recount in episode 34 um you did an amazing deep dive into australia's assistance and access bill which was an incredibly repressive piece of legislation that came into Australia that essentially allowed the government to secretly interfere with companies acting in Australia. So by changing the the, the way that they did business, the software they used, um, forcing them to send data to the government, all these things without telling anyone. Yeah. And you did an incredible roundup of that. So, yeah, that was episode 34. That was... That was a great piece of research you did there. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I think it was. Um, I think it was fueled by rage. The whole that whole week, I was just kind of in a red, 
red haze after I saw the um, the bill that got passed through, and so yeah, I did a big run up on it, and uh, and we oh, we can probably put the link to that in the show notes too. But yeah, that was great. In fact, Google even pulls out. You know, when you search AA, like I was searching AA bill explana- legal explanation. Google actually pastes, uh, like puts your your text from your article into one of those pullout sections. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was wild. Wow. There you go. Yeah, I don't think I've been that angry, like that that angry for a sustained period of time for a long mm. time. We also regularly struggle with uh, with whether we're going to include things in on the podcast, and particularly the, I guess the um, the introductions, but also a number of the news articles we cover and. And everything else. Yeah, because, I mean, there are certain things that we're a little, I don't know, I find, we found that there's been a little too, there hasn't been enough questioning, for example, on things like the health implications of 5G. Mm. And I think there's a difference between being crazy conspiracy theory and actually being legitimately skeptical questioning that yeah. should happen on some of these things. But it gets dismissed too easily. So, yeah, we've often struggled with some of those topics that we've talked about. Yeah, because it's hard. Like, we don't want to come off as tinfoil hatters. And at the end of the day, look, this is a, a mainly an emerging tech podcast, and we are really excited about tech. It's just that also you know, our, our alter egos, which we don't bring out as much on the show, quite pessimistic individuals and look at the world through a very different lens. So there's always a bit of a balance between that and we try and, you know, mix a bit of healthy scepticism in and pessimism, but, but not too much. Being on the forefront of technology, like watching those areas, there is such a fine line. It's literally like a two-faced coin between, you know, amazing potential of this technology and also the incredible restriction and, um, and imprisonment that this technology allows for. So both with blockchain or whether with um, new technology and wireless and 5G and um, a lot of these services and social media, there's a great side, but also there there is. And you can see, all you need to do is look at China to see that there is a dark side of a lot of this. Yeah, definitely. And look, at the end of the day, like a lot of, a lot of, podcasts probably don't ask those questions and talk about those sides of things. And it's, it's something that we do like discussing. And I think it needs to be discussed. So not everything is going to be a net positive for society. Um, a number of technologies which looked promising at the beginning, they tend to have a different effect when they're implemented over time. And look, if you don't like what we have to say, um, just unsubscribe, please. <laughs> But we do love having you listening. <laughs> oh, we do, absolutely. But I was listening to that uh, Straight Outta Compton album by um, NWA, which yeah. is uh, Crackers With Attitude. Um, and, um, and yeah, there was this tune, Gangster Gangster, and Ice Cube is like, if you don't like how I'm living, then F you. And it's just so powerful. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. I need to embrace the Ice Cube attitudes of life, mate. Yeah, Definitely. There's also been some fun news. Um, one of my favourite times is when we covered the hash war and I think mm. we even called in on Jordan Cronier who was reporting from the hash war at the time too. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the latest from our developing story. Jordan, Jordan, can you hear me? Matt, yes, Matt, long story. I'm out of where I was. I'm in a new place. I'm covering the Bitcoin war. I'm in the trenches with the site and it is... It, there's chaos everywhere, chaos on the street. It's insane, absolute insanity. Yeah, Jordan, I can hear 
Wow, those are explosions in the background and that's gunfire, isn't it? No, I've been in the trenches with both sides. Currently, I'm with Bitcoin SV. Damage control is everywhere. Left, right and centre, there's explosions. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I, I just... Yikes, you don't, you don't want to be here. Don't stay away from the Bitcoin water. Yeah, that was such a good. That was that was so good. Uh, cryptocurrency, that whole thing is just a bunch of children mm. running around in the playground, shouting each other, bullying each other, all that stuff. And Jordan Cronier was just front line for that. Yeah, it's just internet tribalism, isn't it? Mm. Really, mm. at its <laughs> best. Oh, some of those other bits, we've. I mean, it's probably no secret to anybody, but we love watching Elon Musk and the stuff he's doing. We've seen. The you know we've been watching the hyperloop, um, the the electric cars, the space stuff, Neuralink. Even just last episode was Neuralink, but it's insane. The guy is he's. We need to get him tested for drugs. We do, or or for being a robot or an alien. I, I think that's probably more likely actually. Yeah, than, yeah. Who knows? He's he's definitely connected himself to AI directly. <laughs> oh, the singularity. We've also discussed some really, really interesting features. I mean, there's been there's been a bunch of them that I've really enjoyed putting together and helping put together and discussing. Uh, one of the ones that sticks out in my mind was when we discussed the future of human governance. So how may we govern ourselves in the future using a bunch of this technology that's coming out? Yeah, just talking about like that whole idea on yeah rulership and rules and stuff like that, that was so good. Um, I guess my favorite as far as cryptocurrency goes is episode nine when we did a big dive into privacy coins and actually why they matter. Mm, mm, yeah, we we just we kind of dug down a little bit deeper and didn't just look at the coins themselves, but also talked about what they actually mean and, wh- and why we should be uh, bullish on privacy coins as a concept and mm. why they're important. So, mm. yeah, that was really, really fun. That one still sticks out even after a year mm. and a half. The one that I was most excited at the end of the episode was episode 36, the Star Citizen episode, which mm. is this massive universe game where you can explore space, go into spacecraft, get out, land on random planets. And there's such a huge vision for this. And we explored that in episode 36, but... Holy crap! You got me into that, and I—it's <laughs> such a big vision. Yeah, yeah, no, it's massive. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's a game I backed back in 2012 when it first got announced, and it, the vision is essentially like this living, breathing universe where you can uh, everything seamless. So you can walk around as your character, you can jump in a spaceship, you can fly around. Uh, there's, there's a there's you know solar systems are properly modeled. You can uh, land on planets, land on stations. FPS combat, ship combat, trading, commodity, pirating, mm. permanent buildings, you know, you name it, it's probably in it. It's probably, it's probably mm. on the roadmap somewhere. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I think we'll probably check back in on that maybe next year sometime and just see mm. where that's at because mm. things are gradually moving quicker now with development for it. One of the other ones that stuck out, like, on the gaming theme was episode 10, our Game Coins episode. Uh, we had a really cool feature. It started off with a clip from a listener and just went into, you know, how cryptocurrencies and gaming can sort of merge and really interesting how that can happen. But um, what would your your last roundup be on our favorite features? I really enjoyed the uh, operational, uh, sorry, open source security episode. So when we talked about 
uh, how people can essentially find out information on other people on the internet and all the different tools that they can use to do it. Mm. That was a real eye-opener for me. Mm. I mean, I was aware of an, a, a few of the tools, but nowhere near the amount of stuff that's actually out there if, if yeah. you want to like, perform intelligence and find someone. Mm. Just seeing those tools and being able to use them and trying to use them against yourself, you know, trying to discover your other usernames, what your address might be or publicly available information. Just going from one item, like just a username and being able to find out more about people, insane. Yeah, yeah. And look, so if, that was episode 42, was Episode 42, yeah, which was, funnily enough, the WikiLeaks episode as well. So, mm. um yeah, and look, if you're like if you're a new listener, if you're relatively new and you've only been listening to the last few episodes, there is a wealth of information in the features that we have done. So definitely feel free to just go back and have a look at a number of the other episodes we've done in the past and just see if anything piques your interest there. I mean, some of the news probably won't be as relevant to you now, but we put timestamps in each and every one of our episodes. So you can always just download the episode click on the time link where where uh, where to where the feature is mm. and then just listen to the feature. So at some point in the future, we will probably end up coming up with a good way of indexing all the different things we talked about so it's easy to explore. But yeah, there and those are just our top five. So that's 50 episodes, mate. I've really, really mate. enjoyed it so far. And um, here's, here's to the next 50. That's Holy. right. <laughs> it's been it's flown past. It really has. And look, if you've got any uh, any great memories, or if, if this is if there's just something you want to share with us, feel free to jump on Telegram. You can message us in the chat. We love we love doing this, and we love talking to everyone. And uh, thanks for coming along for the journey. Mm. So, considering it is our fiftieth uh, episode, and we've been doing this for two years now, we thought it would be a good time to check in with a number of our guests. You know, get get their thoughts on maybe the, the 50th episode or just, you know, check in and see how they're doing and maybe talk to a couple of guests that we haven't talked to in quite some time as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we actually received an answer phone message from uh, a visitor called Citizen X. Now, we last talked to him in episode 44, uh, which is not too long ago, but, um, yeah, he had some some really random things to be saying about Craig Wright back then, but um, he left his an answer phone a message. We, yeah, we figured we'd just, just, just put it in for this show. Hey, Matt. Hey, Joe. Uh, it's been a, a few episodes, but I just wanted to say congratulations on on uh, 50 episodes. You know, here's a question that most people just go through their lives, just never think about it, man. What do we really know about Humpty Dumpty? Who was he? Who was he working for? Was he pushed? How do we know? Was it an inside job? Was he, was Humpty Dumpty even an egg? What do we really know? There's more questions than answers, man. Clearly, the powers that shouldn't be want us to not know the truth, but it's going to get out eventually. So that's what I'm saying. Humpty Dumpty, who was he? Congratulations. I'll catch you soon. Ah, okay. Um... Oh, we got a phone call coming in. Um, that is a weird South African number. <laughs> Three guesses who that is. Let's pick it up. <laughs> okay. Hello? Oh, bro, hey, it's uh, Jordan. Huh? How you doing, huh? 
Jordan, I'm I'm doing well, mate. How are you doing? Oh, bro, I was just congratulating you on episode 50. I saw your message in the Telegram chat. You know, you said what were your best memories of the tele of the FOMO show, and I, you know, so many that you know, you know, Zimbabwe coin for one for me was a big episode. Uh, but I had a big present planned for you, huh? Oh, really? Okay. Well, I mean, Joe's here with me as well. Oh, hey, Jordan. How you doing? Oh, Brew. Yeah, I'm good, huh? You look, it's funny. You should, like, look, I, I had a whole bunch of new articles that I've written for the FOMO site. I did some soul searching. You know, you guys are the only constants in my life. So I wanted to reward you, right? But you wouldn't believe it, huh? Uh, what, so what wouldn't we believe, Jordan? What happened? Yeah, what happened, Jordan? Oh, Brew, there's... There's been a, a tragic accident. Huh? I was I was speaking at the IMF. I was helping him with their policies on quantitative easing, eliminating cash, you know, destroying the world, you know, all of these things. You know, I was trying to reduce travel, make sure it was easier to monitor people wherever they went on the planet and increase surveillance and all these things. Just the good things that you want to do to your citizens. Huh? But uh, look, more of the story is this. Uh, um, I lost all of the articles that I wrote for you, huh? You lost all the articles, Jordan? I mean, I assume the articles were digital. Oh, what happened? Bru, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a traditional oh. journalist. I, I, I stick to the old techniques, you know. I use pen and paper, you know. I'm not messing around. No one can spy on me. No one can, you know, digitally hack into my things and get my pieces and my words and look, bru, um, it must have been somewhere between Djibouti and Switzerland, but... They're gone, huh? So, um, look, I'm really sorry, huh? And um, it turns out my, my, my insurance is lapsed, so there's no insurance on the articles. But it's not the end of the story, huh? It's not the end of the story. But, uh, yeah, there's not, yes, that that's it really. Like, it's not good news. But, I mean, congratulations on 50 episodes, oh, huh? Oh, thanks. Thanks, Jordan. Um, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, not not a problem, Jordan. I mean, look, we'll just, we, we can wait. We can wait a couple of weeks. If you want mm-hmm. to put those articles back together, we can... Uh, we can publish them once you get back on your feet. You know, I'm sure the IMF are probably paying you pretty well. Oh, Bru, thank you. I'll uh, catch you soon, huh? See you, Jordan. Mate, thank goodness we haven't been paying him for well over half a year. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's classic Jordan that mm. um, it, it, on a 50th episode when he probably should have put the articles in, he's got another excuse. Yeah, so. standard procedure. Anyway, I mean, I was I was half expecting him to say that he'd been hacked by Anonymous or he'd fallen out with the yellow vests or... Yeah, so... Back in episode seven, we spoke to uh, a gentleman called Trader Tim. He is from, uh, I think it was South, Southern... Somewhere in South America, yeah. He actually left us a message. Yes, we'll, we'll play that now. You have one new voice message. First voice message. Well, howdy, fellas. Um, look, I just thought I'd give you a quick call. Um, I heard you're touching up on your... 50th show um so well look you don't really probably remember me but uh you interviewed me back way back around about episode six or seven in the show and um you never called me back and so i just wanted to let you know that uh, i'm now a billionaire i've made a whole bunch of money on the markets i could have given you all sorts of great advice on how to trade and 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 what cryptos to buy and what cryptos to sell but you didn't get any of that. You guys aren't millionaires because you didn't call me back. So I just want to let you know I'm now living on an island. I now got a yacht. I got basically everything I want. And I will never call you guys again. So 
All the very best. Happy 50th birthday. Wow. Um, well, that's kind of deep, and um, we're still in the working life, and he's sitting on a yacht. Yeah, uh, maybe we should have called him back. I, mean, I, I vaguely remember that some of what he said might have been inappropriate in his recording, and we that's made a, a decision not to call yeah. him back. But yeah. uh, Look, you win yeah. some, you lose some. Eh? That's right. Mm. That's right. Know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter where we never tweet at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, if you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. That was a mammoth episode. I, I think that's probably one of our longest episodes. I know. Sheesh. Uh, it's 10 p.m. on the dot. I know. I think we started at 7, didn't we? Yeah, man. It's not like we've had a lot of like downtime either. Like the recording here is 2 hours 20 on my end on the um, on Reap Up. Um, and I reckon Sheesh. we've only got... Jeez, man. We'd be lucky to have 20 minutes of filler. Holy. Oh, well. Right, chop where you can, brother. Sorry about that. That was no, I right, pressed the space bar and the next thing I knew it was <laughs> curtains. <laughs> Why is my recording stopped? Oh <laughs> my computer's frozen. Crash report for audition. Fudge I wanna do a um a pass through, like a yeah. KVM pass through so I can run a Windows uh, with a graphics card through Linux and like native performance. Well, so I have a I solution can... for you. Why don't you just install Windows 10 and then you can run Linux natively with <laughs> Windows?